The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry with Joe McGill. Good morning, good morning, how are you this morning? I'm Joe McGill and you're listening to the Saturday Supplement and I hope I find you well wherever you are listening to us around the world on Radio Kerry.ie, the Radio Kerry app or on the traditional wireless 96 to 98 FM. What a week of weather we had. Costa de Kingdom, we were in the... We were like we were in Spain or somewhere all week. It's been absolutely glorious. A real Indian summer. I want you to know it when the kids go back to school, the sun came out. I was saying if you held the leaving cert about four times a year, you'd have great weather four times a year, wouldn't you? Because it always seems to be the tail end of the school year or at the start of it um, as well. But we'll take it all, but be careful, put on that sun cream. It's important. Us Irish, we rush out into the sun and we get badly um, burnt and you have to watch uh, that so make sure to wear sunscreen remember that uh, song uh, from years ago um, wear that and uh, be careful when you're out there um, lots of people got in touch about uh, what I was seeing in the sky in the early hours of uh, Saturday morning last week and uh, I'll have to bring you a few of those texts and emails I got about the theories of what I see in the sky everything ranging from uh, a satellite to my imagination and you know what, do you know another thing that I, I was thinking during the week, maybe this would be the time of year Santa Claus would be out doing the manoeuvres, wouldn't it, kind of getting ready for, um, you know, a few months time, so maybe that's what it was, maybe he was out doing a few um, manoeuvres in the sky but uh, I'll bring you a few of those uh, texts later on, say hello to me, how are you this morning, 66 712 you can text or WhatsApp 083 300 Three, three hundred. Very busy program for you this morning. We'll be talking about um, the Bon Secures Hospital as the Bon Secures Sisters left Tralee this week after 144 years. Um, we'll also be hearing about a new book, Mapping South Kerry. It was actually launched last night. Um, it tells the story of the long history of map making linked to that part of the county south of the River Main and maps going back as far as uh, 1570s so it is actually amazing to hear how they evolved and all that as well and uh, some of the maps were linked to different themes as well like tourism and the bogs were mapped and different things like that um, so I'm very looking forward to our chat there with Arnold Horner on that, we'll also be speaking to Ken O'Sullivan. He'll be talking about his life and experiences as an underwater cameraman, documentary filmmaker, and ocean conservationist um, in Ireland's Atlantic waters. Um, he's due to give a talk in um, October in Shimsatira, and uh, we'll have him in the studio to tell us more. Uh, about that and if that wasn't enough for you it is the second Saturday of the month so we'll have our Kerry County Council Creative Kingdom letting you know what's going on in the arts world now I mentioned the Bon Secours sisters are leaving I've left Tralee this week after 144 years and a mass was held um, during the week to wish the remaining nuns well as they depart for Cork 
on September 8th, 1879, at the invitation of Lady Donovan, four Bonsecours sisters came to live in Tralee to care for the poor sisters, Maureen, Hilary, Ferdinand and Catherine. The congregation first lived in Denny Street, then moved to a larger house on Strand Street in 1882. This is the convent the sisters still occupy. Between 1902 and 1937, the sisters cared for the sick in the town's infirmary, as well as in their homes. Between 1937 and 1987, the Bonsecour sisters ran Edenburn, first as a unit for patients suffering from tuberculosis, and later as a home for the elderly. In 1921, the sisters purchased a large residence with eight acres a short distance from the convent on Strand Street. They opened a hospital there in 1922, which was known as the Bon Secours Nursing Home. Since then, it's been significantly upgraded and extended, and today the Bon Secours Hospital Tree is a 150-bed acute hospital employing around 500 people and offering a wide range of consultancy services. And... Um, the mass, like I said, was was held and uh, it was offered for the Bon Secours sisters who left Tralee after the order, order's presence in the town for 144 years. Um, some story, but um, I said, you know what, I'd like to know maybe people's own personal stories. Maybe you have a personal story uh, with the Bon Secours Hospital, so get in touch with us, 066-712-3366, or you can text the WhatsApp, 83 300, 300, maybe if your own um, memories or fond memories of the uh, place and the work the sisters uh, did. But uh, one man that has a memory of the place is Mike O'Donnell, local historian and guide from Tralee. Mike, you're very welcome. How are you this morning? I'm very good, thank you, John. How are you? Not too bad at all. So tell us, what are your memories of, of this uh, wonderful uh, building? Well, Joe, it, it's not so much the building itself at all, it's the, the sisters involved. Mm. I was involved in a car accident in, in when I was about 14, 15 years of age. Uh, I was knocked down at the Ferris Cross filling station in Tralee. I don't know if you know it. Yeah, I'm familiar. But, uh, yeah, I, the, the man that knocked me down actually was German. And when he when I was lying on the ground after being knocked down, he jumped out of the car and he came over to me and he says, you damaged my car. <laughs> So I, I mean, he was in shock, obviously. Yeah, so I yeah. think. So under, under normal circumstances, he wouldn't say anything like that. Yeah. But he bundled me. In, he bundled me into the back of the car anyway, Joe. But Mike, it says and, what a, it says yeah. what a strong boy you are to to, to, to put that damage well, on the car. <laughs> that the car it, came it out was, worse. It was, it was anything other than a Volkswagen with the slope front. I was dead, Joe. I, okay. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be here to tell the tale. But he bundled me into the car and he went, took me up to the Bansgore Hospital. And it was the Saturday night before the Festival of Kerry. The Festival of Kerry was in the first week in September that time. Mm-hmm. So it was this time of the year, actually. I was in, in, in the, this time of the year, I was in the bonds. And I was there the week before, the week of, and the week after the festival. And each night during the festival, there was a friend of mine who lived in Cahill's Park in Tralee, Sean Collins. He's John Collins. He, he spent years in England. We know him as John Collins now. Mm-hmm. He actually lives in Castle in Ardnashid and Castle in Tralee. He plays a saxophone. When Sean was coming up every evening, every night, late, one or two o'clock in the morning from the festivities, he would knock at the window and there was a sister, Bernadine, who was a band school nun, in the hospital. She would open the window and let him in, into the room to me, to tell me all the stories about the night's events in the town. Wow. And of course, at that at that age, the girls he met and and all this kind of thing. So I had a running commentary on the festival of Kerry for that week. 
and then I was there the week after as well. But while I was there, Joe, there was a man from, I think he was called Conshine from my van. I'm sure he has relations in my van. I think he was a shopkeeper, but he came in to have something done to his eyes. I think he had cataracts and maybe cataracts were a big operation that time that you would have to stay in hospital overnight. Yeah. But my duties every day with Mr. Shine was to say the rosary. <laughs> and I had to say the rosary in the morning and and in the evening time with Mr. Shine. I had to answer the rosary. That time we could all answer the rosary, Joe, because rosaries were said, the rosary was said in every house in, in the country night nightly. Yeah. But when I was leaving the hospital, I forget whether I was left before him or he left before me. I think I left before him because he fell out of the bed one night and broke his hip. That, that that added to his stay in the hospital. But he gave me five pounds, Joe. Wow. Now, five pounds was a pile of money that time. I mean, a man working in Tralee in one of the... the the mills of anti he wouldn't have five pounds for his week's wages in, in 1967 or 68, whenever it was. And that was, my, that was my story there. Yeah, but Mike, you must have been the first lay person ever to get paid to say the rosary. Well, <laughs> You're a professional <laughs> Rory, a rosary, yes, uh, sir. Rosary, rosary, <laughs> reply, or whatever. I suppose you could say that. Well, it says, uh, I can list it amongst my attributes. Anyway, <laughs> which, you know, put it on your CV. <laughs> you, know, you put it on my CV that I lent to the Rosary. Rosary, yes. Yeah. Um, and there's there is countless people that have wonderful memories like that. But like you say, it's it's the people, isn't it? Like I I I mentioned building, but it's the people, like you said, isn't it? That that you remember. I, you know, you know, some people. Uh, it's it's a, it's a tough time to be going into hospital and even you know visiting people in hospital and everything else. And I suppose we were kind of having a laugh, but it is you know it's serious stuff inside there, and it's important to have the right people inside there. And on top of that, Joe, we were used to, we went, went to school to the nuns, of course, and we were used to the more stricter system mm. of, you know, and of, of, uh, of, of the teaching that time, the Mercy nuns and the present days nuns. And it was a bit more strict. And then we went to, the, like I went to the bonds. And my experience then was totally, it was relaxed. Like I said, Sister Bernadine, there was no, uh, you know, none of this uh, kind of officialdom, if you like. It seemed more relaxed. Uh, like opening the window at 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning <laughs> let somebody climb in the window <laughs> it wouldn't happen today <laughs> oh shit not at all you would have to you'd have to fill up more forums now Joe than anything else you know, so. yeah yeah very good Mike but, but uh, I had an uncle yeah sorry, go on Joe, yeah right? go on sorry you I, had had, uncle? I had an I had an uncle in 1943 or 42 sorry and when when Charlie Cairns was being uh, sought after the killing of, of um, the sergeant in Dublin, the alleged that Charlie Cairns allegedly mm. uh, killed this this sergeant in Dublin. I had a we had a my house in Riverside here would be had been considered a, a fairly safe house, and there was <coughs> there was a man on the run, a Thai Drummond from Urban Terrace, Rock Street, Tralee. He'd been uncle of Derry McMahon's now Derry Shoes in, in Russell Street, mm. Thai McMahon in Moana Valley. He was hiding out at. Uh, the, the house here, our house in Riverside, 
and he was staying in the shade in the back and they had some kind of an alarm system set up that if anyone came down Riverside and Riverside would be very easy to watch over, you know, mm. they'd signal him in the shade and he'd scarper across the river into what was Crean's farm yard and over towards the dog track. Yeah. But every night I had an uncle, Pat, whose daughter Kitty lives in Derry Lee in Tralee, Kitty, Kitty Nealon. He was um, in the bonds and the same thing, Ty Drummond just go down nightly to visit him and the nuns just let him in the window. <laughs> of the bands to visit to visit my uncle Whoa. you know yeah yeah so, so like a and, bit of and, uh, there was that there yeah. was that and, and they were sympathetic I'm not saying nuts to be unsympathetic yeah. but they were sympathetic and I'm not surprised they, they had the empathy for the caring profession you know so yeah very good Mike stay with us because we have to go to a break but I want to find out what else you do you know you, um, on your tours and your guides when you do them but stay on the line there we have to go to a break and we'll have more from Mike after these the Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. That's what you listen to. We're talking to Mike O'Donnell, local historian and guide and uh, professional rosary uh, replier, we should say as well. Uh, he was talking before the break about his memories of the Monsecours in uh, Tralee. And uh, this week, um, the Monsecour sisters left Tralee after 144 um, years. Mike, uh, I mentioned you're a local historian and guide. You do you do guide, kind of humorous guided walks, is it? Tell us about them. Joe, Joe, I, I have to correct you a little in that. Yeah. I'm not a historian. No, I tell a little bit of history. Sometimes I'm open to correction, and in actual fact, I'm always open to correction. But I tell stories then linked to events. You know, that if I if I hear a story, I love to hear a personal story. Yeah. Uh, I was on a tour one day, and I was talking about the, the Major McKinnon being shot in Tralee and uh, in 1921, and the, the Major McKinnon was he was he was in English auxiliary officer and he was shot in the old golf things in, in that time he was playing golf and he was shot in it was in Oak Park actually Oak Park and Tralee the old golf links is named after where the the, the, the golf links that the major was shot in yeah. but on the, on the day he was shot there was a lot, a lot of uh, towing and throwing around the town of Tralee and I was I was giving a tour one day, and this this girl who I knew told me this story that on the day the major was shot, her mother, who was Beatrice Fitzgerald from Rock Street, truly dinner pizzas. Everybody in Tralee would know the shop I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Beatrice Beatrice was a young child at that stage, and she was knocked down by an armored car in the in the, the, you know, the, the furore that was going on around the whole event when yeah. the major was shot. Yeah. The town went into lockdown and there was towing and throwing with the, the, the British were, were here, there and everywhere trying to round up or trying to get the culprits. Yeah, there was mayhem, yeah. And she, yeah, and she was knocked down. And she spent, I don't know whether it was six weeks or six months in the infirmary in Tralee. So I'm assuming that the, the bands, of course, yeah. looked after her, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And she is she that Beatrice Fitzgerald is the was the grandmother of Paddy Ellie. Wow. T D. Yeah. Wow, there's some connection. So it's there. just li- little stories like that I would connect uh, historical references with, you know, I love to hear uh, the, the personal story. Yeah, but isn't it the personal story that brings history to life? Because you know I you make a connection, I yeah. Think, I, I think it is. And that's what people like. Uh, I do, 
I stay with, uh, well, I don't know the in-depth stories anywhere things, but I feel that the people that are listening to me, they want a bit of humor, they want a personal story, they don't want the in-depth dates and times and places of things that happen. So that's what I do. And I've done it with Johnny Wall, the, the counsellor. We do, we have done a few Heritage Week tours of really humorous tour of the town. And we talk about characters and characters that we, we knew personally growing up and that Johnny would know in particular because Johnny would be he'd be I hesitate to say he's older than me <laughs> so, <laughs> and how have they got down how have those tours uh, got down oh uh, they were great we'd get a great crowd you know and they'd be fellas passing and they'd shout over don't mind believe a word he says he's telling all lies you know but a lot of them would be lies too so, yeah. you know but yeah it, it, the truth should never interfere with a good story. <laughs> and during the lockdown as well, did you do videos, you know, on kind of uh, historical spots? I did. Again, walks down memory lane. I did about 40 videos of different streets of the town. I went out every morning at 6 o'clock and I did a video of the street the way I could remember it. Now, some of the times I was wrong, but it created a great conversation around the world because fellas were wa- I put them up on YouTube and fellas were watching them in Australia and New York and Boston and not only were they talking to me they were talking to each other as well yeah. you know fellas uh, fellas that hadn't met for years a name would crop up like Joe McGill you know <laughs> and then some fella, in, some fella in Boston would say hey, you Joe McGill they went to school with me in Carsevee yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah yeah so they, even though they were just my memories they created memories for fellas that were far away and all to touch at that time because lockdown put a a kibosh on everything yeah but that was was brilliant Mike you should be commended for that because a lot of people you know there was a two kilometre restriction people couldn't go anywhere and you know we were kind of very looking away we had social media for you know because a lot of people kind of jumped on that and did kind of the videos but videos like that are are brilliant because from people are away and they can't come home you know they feel connected then as well yeah, they do, and they went down surprisingly well. Now, uh, the first few mornings I was out, we had beautiful weather, as everybody remembers from the weeks of lockdown, we had six weeks of great weather, and I used to be out at five o'clock in the morning. Now, the first couple of days, the guards were very kind of suspicious of me. A fellow standing with a video camera across the Bank of Ireland in Castle Street and Chile at five o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and the, the, the guards then would pass me down, go down to Denny Street, turn around, and come back up again. <laughs> uh, but that that dissipated and after a while I think they made inquiries below and they said don't mind that for he's out on he's harmless <laughs> he's harmless come, come, come here to me when you got uh, when you got the five pound for the rosary what year are we talking there roughly we're talking I suppose I was about 14 so 1948 it would be 62-63 ok because in that's 1958 you, you would have got your tonsils out and you would have had two pound to spare because Dennis from now got his tonsils taken out at the Bon Secours back in 1958 and it cost three pound so jeez you well, can uh, see you can <laughs> see that you got well paid for your rosary well, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't have been in the bonds at all if there was a choice of where to send me, but two men put me into the car and took me up to the bonds straight yeah. away. Yeah. And because uh, my father was only working as a lorry driver in McCombs, I certainly wouldn't have been gone into private health, you know. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, you did well anyway, you came over with a bit of, a bit of profit. 
Um, uh, and then Shaw Lides gets in touch. Mikey O'Donnell is the greatest spinner of yarns I've had the pleasure of meeting. <laughs> that comes in for Shaw Lides. <laughs> Mike, thanks a million for coming on. Uh, we, we must bring you on again sometime and come in to me here in the studio. We'll have a good old chat. But thanks a million for coming on this morning and giving us your, your, your memories. Lovely chatting, Joe. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, right. That's Mike O'Donnell there. Yeah, you'd love to go on one of his tours, wouldn't you? And uh, doing Heritage Week and uh, everywhere else. And uh, on, on Facebook, yeah, he's some great videos. Um, even I'd seen one last night. He was talking about the two cannons, you know, outside uh, the, the courthouse in Tralee and the history associated with them. Um, and then about the characters. And I think that's very important, talking about the characters, because some of those characters, you know, we, do, we don't have them as much anymore, do we? Or maybe we do, but I don't think we have. There's a few of them gone now. And, uh, you know, you'd, you'd have some great stories uh, about them. Some we couldn't uh, repeat here on air. Now, we're going to go to a break. And after that, we're going to be talking to Michael Horner about this new wonderful book he has produced, um, Mapping South Kerry. The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. 0667123366 for your calls. 0833300300 for your text and WhatsApps. Mapping So Kerry is a new book which tells the story of the long history of map making linked to that part of the county south of the River Main. Its coverage therefore takes in the Evera Ring of Kerry Peninsula, the Lakes District around Clarney, much of Lucra to the east and the southernmost area around Kinmere and Kilgarvan. Produced by World Wed Well Book Publishers and authored by a former UCT geography lecturer Arnold Horner, this attractively produced book aims to offer an accessible overview to the many hundreds of maps which have been made showing parts of the South Kerry area over a 450-year period from the early 1570s to the present day. Over 400 illustrations complement a detailed text. It's a wonderful book, just visually as well. It's so impressive. Arnold Horner joins me on the line now. It's our author. Arnold, how are you? How are you? Not too bad at all. That's good. Come here. Um, you had your launch last night. Did it go well? Oh, it did, yes. It was very good and very well attended and very well organised. We had a great evening at the Skellig Experience uh, on Valencia Island. Uh, it was very enjoyable. Very good. Good crowd. Excellent. And, uh, every, the atmosphere was very, very enjoyable. Excellent. So I mentioned there, Arnold, you know, back to the 1570s. Uh, you don't have a radio on the background there, Arnold, do you? No, no, we're not a loudspeaker or anything. There's just a, there's a bit of I can hear myself back to myself, but we might um, we might uh, iron that out after a while. Just in relation to I mentioned the early um, maps, it goes back to the 1570s, all the way back then. Who was carrying out um, the, the the drawing of the maps back then? Well, the English government was. Uh, worried about uh, uh, the threats from Spain and uh, they thought that they'd better uh, get better maps of Ireland at that time so uh, they commissioned a man to, called Robert Lythe to make a large map of Ireland and he was sent around Ireland on horseback and on foot 
and he travelled on his own most of the time with perhaps one assistant and he made a map of the, the whole of the south and east and large parts of the west of Ireland he wasn't able to go to the north because the north was too dangerous but he was particularly interested in the southwest because um, that was where the Spanish were uh, the Spanish threat probably was was going to be most most significant uh, so he spent quite a lot of time in the southwest uh, in the Macar- what was then the MacArthur Kingdom with the Lordship of McCarthy Moore mm. And uh, he spent perhaps uh, several months there. Uh, he mapped using a, a large bo- a boat. He rode. He was rowed by boat from Kinsale around to Dingle, and then he got a curragh and he uh, worked his way back around the coast and up the Kenmare River. And then he had guides that brought him across uh, inland areas, including Sleeve Lucre. So he he did a pretty extensive job, and he was the first person really to make uh, a map of that southwestern area of Ireland. Whoa. Um, you mentioned as well the English Sea Captain William Brooke, and there's a, you speak about a dramatic ambush of a, of a pirate vessel at, at Valencia. What was that all about? Well, yeah, I mean, Brooke, Brooke was a, a guy who, who made, it's a, not a very well-known source, but uh, in the 1630s, he compiled what I suppose you could call was an atlas of ports of Ireland. He had 20 ports that he uh, included in his atlas, including four Kerry ports, Ventry, uh, Valencia, Balanskelligs, and the Kenmare River, and he drew sketches of uh, the land around the, uh, the these the, these ports, uh, and he t- wrote a little commentary about how to navigate into these ports. Uh, so on the Valencia map. Uh, on the Valencia chart, he shows uh, uh, he's, he's got marked near Beganish Island uh, a point called B, he calls it, and he says at B, uh, the great Irish pirate Burke uh, was captured, he was cornered and captured by uh, an English naval vessel uh, in 1620, and uh, the crew uh, then were uh, captured and uh, they were hanged, 28 of them were hanged on the mainland, probably on at Renard, opposite, uh, opposite Valencia. Uh, so it was a really dramatic uh, event. Uh, this this uh, man, Burke, had been uh, travelling up and down the uh, eastern part of the Atlantic Ocean from Portugal to, um, uh, to England, to Ireland, terrorising uh, merchant shipping and capturing various ships and so forth. And uh, finally, he was captured uh, at Valencia Island, and I think the ship was burnt. Um, and uh, as I say, most of the crew were hanged. Oh, there's a movie in that, Arnold. <laughs> there is. I mean, it's an extraordinary event. And funnily enough, it's not very well known. Yeah. It is in the it is in Admiralty records, all right. But somehow or other, it seems to have escaped uh, a lot of uh, uh, previous histories of uh, of Valencia and of South Kerry.
Mm. But pirates were very, very widespread uh, at that time uh, off the Irish coast. And then they moved off to the to the Johnny Depp sort of uh, ca- Pirates of the Cam- Caribbean scenario yeah. uh, in the late 1600s. But in the early 1600s, the pirates were uh, operating from southwest England and southwest Ireland. Mm. Um, I'm just thinking about Robert Lloyd then, um, just in relation to his maps. How accurate were they to, to what we know today? Oh, they, were, they were pretty... They they were pretty crude ones by modern yeah. standards, but on the other hand, they did get the outline of the peninsulas. Up to then, uh, the southwest of Ireland was really a blob on maps, you know, and one of the things that they had uh, perhaps from an earlier period was the cow and the calf, but uh, the rocks off the off the, the, the uh, Bearer Peninsula, but uh, they, they didn't have very much on it. They had the skellies perhaps marked on some of the medieval charts as well but the, the, it was a bit of a blob sort of the southwest and they didn't really have the the size of the Dingle Bay or the size of the Kenmare River uh, and how far inland it penetrated and Lyles was able to sort of sketch in the outline of the coast uh, around uh, Dingle Bay and around Evera and he picked out Puffin Island and he picked out Valencia and he was able to show some of the the larger, what he called havens uh, in the Kenmare River like Kilmakillog and um, uh, Ard Groom Harbour uh, as havens for great ships. He was he was evaluating what the potential uh, of these places were for from a military point of view at times. Yeah. Um, the landlords then, and I suppose, you know, you're talking about huge estates like Lansdowne, Kimmera, Trinity College, um, they mapped their areas then uh, uh, as well. Why did they do that and how, how, how detailed were they? Oh, well, I suppose these guys, uh, you know, they got property and they wanted to know the limits of their property. Um, they were particularly interested in boundaries. And then, uh, I mean, Petty had at one stage a quarter of a million acres, which is hard to believe. Petty was the, the, the predecessor of the Lansdowns yeah. mm-hmm. uh, operating in the mid-17th century. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lord Kenmare, who uh, paradoxically was based in Killarney, had in a state of 100,000 acres. It's hard to believe the size of that the, the, the estates that some of these landlords had. Trinity College had a fairly extensive estate, I think, of about 20,000 acres. Um, Lord Ventry had an estate of uh, 90,000 acres. These guys uh, had, of course, their estates subdivided. Some of it was let out to what uh, historians call middlemen who uh, then uh, took on uh, under 10 and all of this uh, up network of property ba- property involved boundaries and I suppose what the mappers, what they wanted from their maps was uh, records of the boundaries of their properties. Mm. And Killarney then as well, you, you speak about that and uh, you know that the, the map included picture views from the 1720s. Yeah, I mean that's that is that is quite interesting. Uh, that's fair. I think fairly well known. The artist, architectural historian Finola O'Kane has written a little bit about that as well. But the the 1720s, there was a remarkable survey that was done of uh, Lord Kenmare's estates, uh, covering the hundred thousand acres around Killarney and also covering Killarney Town itself. So there's 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 a sort of picture that shows what 
high street uh, in Killarney looked like at that time and the buildings uh, along the the street it's, 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 it's I would call it a picture map because it shows it doesn't show the the buildings in plan it shows little images of the buildings now how accurate that is is, is highly debatable but you can make out where for instance Kenmare house was um, uh, or uh, uh, sometimes now the site uh, is Killarney house but um, you can make out the buildings along this this street and you, you can see that Killarney was quite a well developed place uh, and had perhaps two or three inns at that time uh, where travellers there, there was already I think a tourist trade um, building up in, in Killarney um, you know well to do tourists but um, nevertheless tourists who were coming to Killarney in the 1720s and that's I think much earlier than sometimes we imagine I mean a few years ago there was a, a, a book that came out about the 250th anniversary of Killarney, well Killarney actually Actually goes back to, to, to 1604 and there's a record of 40 houses at Killarney in 1600 um, which Ballantyne Brown the, the predecessor of, of the, the who, whose family later became the heirs of Kenmare but Ballantyne Brown uh, is recorded as having 40 houses at Killarney in 1600 so in the English style by the way it's called 40 houses in the English style which seems to signify something or other um, but, but by 1720 um, there, there's, th- these maps show boating on uh, the lower lake for instance and also boating on the upper lake and it looks as if they're, 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 it's sort of uh, pleasure boating rather than guys fishing for, uh, for fishing for a living mm. The period we're talking about, like we started there in 1570 and we're working our way up through the centuries, But and you mentioned uh, maps about navigate, navigation into port. That's why these maps were vital at that time as well, I'd imagine, with all the trade that was going on, uh, you know, uh, via the sea. Oh, I think, I mean, I think the sea was so much more important then than it is now, and I mean... Mm. For a long time, the Kenmare River was one of the great fishing rivers of Europe, um, uh, where uh, sea fishing, I mean, uh, where, where boats from the Brittany and from England and from the Netherlands converged each year. It was a bit like the, the Grand Banks of Newfoundland became later um, a, a great fishing area uh, for the whole of Western Europe. Um, and uh, uh, the, the fishing, of course, went on uh, right through into uh, the, the middle of the last century, really. Um, and uh, w- I, I think we, we would have seen a coast alive with boats uh, for uh, long, many centuries. Uh, the pirate, once the pirates went, uh, of course, there were also, there was also, apart from the pirates, there were smugglers that um, made use of the Kenmare River um, in, uh, in, in the 18th century, and uh, they were being chased all over the place by uh, a rather ineffectual, uh, perhaps uh, ineffective customs service, and um, a couple of sloops uh, run by the English Navy, uh, but uh, the, the smugglers were, smuggling was rife in, uh, on, on this part of, uh, of the coastline of, of Western Ireland. Mm. Um, Arnold, stay with us because we're going to go to a break. We're going to hear more about this wonderful book from Arnold Mapping South Kerry after these. The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. 
The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. Yeah, we're talking about this wonderful new book, Mapping South Kerry, which tells the story of the long history of map making linked to that part of the county south of the River Main. A feature of the book is that its historical coverage extends to the present day. Um, Arnold Horner, its author, is on the line. Ordnance survey mapping then, Arnold, that came in around 1840. How significant was that? Well, I mean, the, the Ordnance Survey did revolutionise mapping because it, it mapped everywhere in Ireland and it mapped it at a consistent scale um, so that the whole countryside was recorded and the significance, I suppose, is enhanced by the fact that it records the countryside just before the Great Famine. Uh, the Kerry maps were surveyed in 1842. Uh, they made the Ordnance Survey covered County Kerry in 111 sheets, so it's pretty detailed stuff. Uh, it shows all the town plans. It shows every building in the county. It shows county. Uh, it shows field boundaries uh, in great detail. And then uh, the printed maps came out in 1846, uh, and that's. The, the middle of the famine the Kerry was the last county uh, for the Ordnance Survey maps to be uh, published and uh, in, in some respects it's, it's this it's fascinating because it, as I say it does show it uh, at a time when uh, the population was at its highest much higher than it, than it is now uh, and ever since 1846 of course the survey has periodically revised uh, its coverage of Kerry so there was another big revision in the 1890s and that allows you to compare how uh, Kerry developed during the 19th century from the mid-1840s to the mid-1890s and then you can go forward again and you can see um, how it, uh, how the, the mid-1890s of course compares with the present day. So the Ordnance Survey maps provide a framework for understanding landscape change in Kerry uh, over the last nearly 200 years now. Yeah, and the, your your book does cover that in, in some detail, but you also um, give uh, excellent coverage to the, the wide range of thematic maps that relate to South Kerry, like tourism, geology, bogs, development of the Irish language and the spread of uh, telecommunications. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that's, for me, one of the most interesting things is, is uh, you know, there are all these maps lying around that people don't think about uh, very much. Most of them were done of uh, the whole country, and then I, I took out sections of them relating to Kerry. But uh, I like the particularly the, the maps that were produced uh, at the beginning of the 20th century to record, um, first of all, the, the way the postal service was organized. Some parts of uh, Ivera uh, were, were well beyond postal deliveries even then and also then it talk, the, there were maps produced to record the, the spread of the telephone uh, and the uh, telegraph um, the, the telephone uh, reached Killarney in 1906 that was when the, the before that there was a trunk line from Dublin to Cork but uh, the branch line to Killarney only arrived in 1906 and then uh, 
the, 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 the lines gradually uh, extended uh, uh, along uh, both the north and south coasts of Ivora. Uh, but the coverage, the, the coverage does uh, on the shown on these maps does emphasise just how isolated some parts of uh, the peninsula were, some inland areas particularly, uh, who were beyond the telephone network and where communication was still uh, very difficult. Uh, and we, we, when we think about how easy it is today to communicate with, um, you know, handheld mobile phones and so forth, it's hard to put yourself back into that uh, period when communication was so limited. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about German submarines using these maps as well. And I wanted to talk to you about how, um, you know, the the changing landscape is really covered in the book as well. Uh, you know, how man-made infrastructure has changed it all as well, which is brilliant to see. But look, we can't cover everything and you have to get the book to, to find out all about um, this. Um, Arnold, where is it um, for sale? Where can people get it? Well, I think most bookshops... Uh, have it. Uh, I certainly know that it's in Quirks and uh, in Cattus Iveen, um and it's been uh, it's been uh, sold uh, pretty steadily there for the last few weeks. Mm. Um, it's I think it's in most bookshops actually. Yeah, and uh, I have an email address here as well, Fiona at Wordwell.ie. If you want to yeah, email it, as well, it's, it's actually it's actually Wordwell, Word, not yeah. Wordwell. It's, yeah. it's, it's Wordwell. Uh, they're the publishers, and they did a great job. They, they 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 operate in Dublin and um, they 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 they've managed to do the colours very well indeed. So the book looks lovely, I think. Yeah, even though I say it myself, no, it does. I've, I, yeah, I've seen it, it and the, the illustration, I mean, I yeah, visually it's beautiful. Who, yeah. I wasn't the guy who did the finishing touches yeah. to it, but uh, it, it does. It is a very fine production. Yeah, visually it's beautiful as well. And uh, yeah, coming up to, I, I don't want to mention Christmas, but coming up to that now, it is a great um, a gift as well. Arnold, congratulations. Congratulations, well done. And I know this is not your first book you've produced kind of in this area, but uh, well done, congratulations, and uh, well done on the launch as well. And we wish you continued success with it. Um, like, it, it, the, the maps are amazing, but then it's the stories that go with them as well. To put it into context is just brilliant as well. So, um, well done, Arnold, and thanks a million for coming on this morning. Thanks, thanks very much, Joe. Good to hear from you. Yeah, thanks. that's Arnold Horner there, and uh, like he said, the email address is Fiona at word, W-O-R-D, well .ie and they're available in most uh, bookshops in um, Kerry. Fascinating and there was loads I didn't get to there because there's it's such a, uh, there's fascinating um, kind of subject matter throughout. Um, someone gets in touch here and I forgot to ask this to, to Arnold, is Kinmare River actually Kinmare Bay? And I, I think that's kind of a controversial question at the moment, isn't it? Um, and we also have a few more texts in there which I will get to after the 10 o'clock news. But we have to go to break, we'll have our 10 news and then I'll join you again in the next hour. The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. That's what you're listening to in the Saturday Supplement and I hope you're enjoying the uh, programme so far. You're into the second hour of the programme. I mentioned the, the, the UFO I spotted in the sky there uh, last weekend and um, lots of you had different theories. Good morning, Joe. As regards the bright light you saw in the sky uh, last night, and these are messages from last week that I didn't get to, if this... Um, if this was way uh, to the left of the moon, it was the planet Jupiter, the largest planet in the solar system. A pair of binoculars will give you a better view, and you may see some small dots about the planet. There are 
Um, I don't know what that says of Jupiter's or there's some of Jupiter's moons and that comes in from Kevin thanks for that Kevin dear Joe there's a satellite in the sky to the south of Kerry that appears to change colours it would appear small in appearance and that comes in from Tom that's a good theory Tom that's what I thought it was myself to be honest um, uh, Dean we also have oh yes this was in relation to the cockerel's head it's called the comb the thing on top of the head and uh, there was a guy with it last night I don't know you look at the opening ceremony of the rugby there was a guy using his hand in a red glove and he was pretending that was the comb on top of his head I had no idea what that whole opening ceremony was about, I think the French did but I hadn't, I had an absolute clue what was going on and I also mentioned the film with the English Sheepdog last week and the film was called The Shaggy Dog starring Fred McMurray and Tommy uh, Kirk and that comes in from Michael F. O'Connor in Faha Killarney and I mentioned how beautiful the Mount Brescia were looking around the place well someone has um, told me something that I didn't know you mentioned how colourful the Mount Brescia flower is in South Kerry at the moment unfortunately it is a non-native and very invasive if you plant just one bulb it spreads and can smother every other plant plant is not good for biodiversity and you'll never see a bee, butterfly or moth near it. Uh, Apart from its attractive orange colour, it has little to offer and like uh, other invasive plants, it is very difficult to remove and thanks a million for that and Heffernan in Milltown. You learn something new every day. I'm delighted to say now that we're joined by Ken O'Sullivan ahead of his upcoming talk uh, tour which is coming to Shimsatir on the 5th of October at 7.30pm. Ken of course is Kerry's underwater cameraman and documentary uh, filmmaker and so much more besides. uh, I I spoke to Ken a number of years ago um, when he brought out his wonderful book Stories from the Deep and Ken joins me. Okay, how are you? Great, Joe. Great. No, no. I have to make a small correction to you there. No, but I'm, I'm, I'm a very proud clearman, but of, of <laughs> strong Kerry heritage, Phoenix <laughs> Island. So. And we will talk about that. But I, I've, I phoned you there Thursday, and uh, you were off somewhere. I could hear straight away you were on a boat. I knew just by the sound of it. Where were you? Uh, I'd say we were, we were about two, two and a half miles west of. Um, Probably Sauce Creek or 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 or, or, or Smerrick Harbour at that stage. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Where's that? Uh, that would be um, well, uh, Bally David, I suppose. Okay, Smerrick Harbour, so west yeah. of there. Yeah, we're out looking for dolphins, and uh, oh my God, sure, what a week it's been in the weather. It's just been you know unreal, and when you get a, a stretch in September, it shortens the winter. But um, come here, I always say it's better than having a real job. <laughs> Good to see. <laughs> yeah, it sounds fantastic. You mentioned your your family connection to Fina. Tell us about that. It goes back a long way. Uh, yeah, yeah. My father was Billy Sullivan from Phoenix Island, um, and I would have spent. I mean, he left. Uh, he left the island to, to go and work um, on the mainland. So I would have spent a lot of my summers down there, you know, with him, and then kind of on my own too. I just went. I had two two uncles, Jack and Dan, and my auntie Molly. They were there, and they didn't marry, um, but they had the family farm, and sure, it was a kind of a Huckleberry Finn existence going there in the summertime with them and fishing and the old school ways with trammel nets and haul lines and um, haul nets and spiller lines um, my family um, we've been able to trace back the history well we didn't have to trace it at all because uh, the great oral history uh, as you know mm. coastal folk too my family moved over there with the landlord from, from a place called Carragaha which is beside Okoshla in 1750 and I think the landlord was Hurley at the time he, he bought it from the Fitzmorrises and um, do you know my uncle Jamie who went to America he wrote a family history in just four or five pages and he, actually was able to name more or less everybody back to 1750 in our in oh, our, our family which is a great indicative you know we're very lucky in Ireland we've a great sense of place and we've a great sense of, of identity and who we are and I'm very grateful for that so that's where I got my love of, of the sea and of the shore and um 
And do you think that is a thing, like you hear salt water in the veins, do you think it, it, it is a thing, like, you know, among, you know, families going back generations? Because it's, it's ha- sometimes hard to describe. It's a feeling that you need to be near the water. I need to be near the water. Oh, sure, come here. Look, I always said our, our emotional int- intellect is far, far stronger and superior than any other form of intellect. It is. I mean, I mean, everybody's drawn to the sea, more or less. Mm. Almost everybody of it in my lifetime is drawn to the sea. But there is something about going to sea, and it, it's just in you, and it's, it's why it's very, very hard for fishermen, you know, in the times we are now, declining fish stocks and that you know the people they, they can't give it up it's 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 a part of who you are do you know what I mean so absolutely yeah yeah and it's a wonderful thing I suppose you know just to learn that seamanship and people that was passed down through the generations that's mm. really is a whole part of their identity and who they are and, uh, and I mean it's wonderful you know when weather's good obviously <laughs> yeah um, I, 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 I was thinking about this as well during the week that you kind of were doing these documentaries on conservationists and you know about what, what the harm pollution is doing plastics and all these kind of things you were doing this years ago before like it's become very popular for want of a better word at the moment because I suppose it's becoming so precedent and it has always been but you you always had a, a kind of a, a social conscience to this um, I did, yeah, I did. And I mean, <laughs> look, it's wonderful to see the BBCs and National Geographics embracing this and which, you know, they made, I'm not slagging them off because they, they, these are the, you know, pioneered a lot of natural history filmmaking, but they've really only discovered it in recent years. And I've been making documentaries since 2005. And look, you know, you go out to the sea and you're know, initially struck by how beautiful things are and, 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 and the, you know, biodiversity isn't a great word. Let's just talk about all the amazing, colourful plants and animals that we see. But then you start to see these issues. And I mean, you can't possibly ignore that as a storyteller, as a journalist Mm. yourself. You have to have integrity and tell these stories. And I suspect what happened for decades is that uh, broadcasters were afraid of kickback from advertisers. But now it's just become, as you say, such a prescient topic that they have to do this. So it's great that others are doing it. But you're right, we, we did it for 15 years before anyone. And, uh, you know, I had, um, I had a meeting one time with a commissioning editor and he didn't want me to put in things about, you know, the harm to sharks and all this. And and it was a, kind of a heated enough discussion. And I remember my kids were small at the time. I said, look, I said, what does every story need? You know, I'd be telling my daughters like fairy tales at night time. I said, every story must have some conflict. And that was the kind of trigger that's okay, okay, you can leave it in. And it is, it's a key part. It's the reality of what we're seeing out there. But it does, it also helps with the storytelling um, for that. And you, you have to tell these stories and bring them to people. And I always have to believe if people understood what's going on that they would do something about it or they would change if there's something that people can do to help Yeah and what are the more shocking things you've noticed when you've been out there and down under there? Um, I mean plastics is an obvious one because it's very visual and that's a huge issue you know and apparently we're still using two million plastic bottles every day you know um, I mean here's a great idea you know we look at GA teams and rugby teams and soccer teams on telly you know with their plastic bottles like would GA inter-county GA and clubs think about using um, getting a water font and getting reusable bottles and you know getting somebody in to, to, to do it when that's a great example so plastics are a huge problem and we found plastic bottles 2,000 metres deep out in the Porcupine Bank um, without a doubt climate change is a huge issue and we're seeing hu- uh, very very warm seas around Ireland this year you know in times it's been two two and a half degrees warmer than normal uh, overfishing sadly is, is, is the biggest issue and it's in a global context but also locally to some degree it's, it's a huge issue um, and then you, 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 you showed me a video there 
anchovies it's something I wouldn't associate <laughs> with the waters around here but you've you've taken a video of that we did off West Kerry we had a mad show there a few weeks ago Joe um, I mean they were actually creating a wave they're, they're, you know they get this herd mentality there were millions and millions of them in the shoal and they, they kind of rush they start to follow bits of plankton in the water and then they kind of rush as a shoal and they're actually breaking the surface of the water now I think we saw them in 2016 and, um, uh, in Dingle Bay and I know that there were some big shoals uh, there last year there were some local fishermen caught some big shoals eventually it's an indication of warming water simply mm. and the, the converse side of that of course is that potentially some of our own fish stocks which need colder water may move north um, I know the, 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 the decline in salmon is very complex and there are a number of issues but that certainly could be one of the drivers in that mm. um, Something that struck me from your book before is the visuals in it and there's one of you I think kind of next to this massive creature was that the blue whale or there there's a few different images in it but you have free dived with the, the likes of, of those huge did, a, yeah, a, a yeah. mammals very privileged very privileged um yeah we set out a few years ago on our last year's Ireland's deep atlantic to try and fly, find blue whales in the north atlantic because so the numbers have gone down from oh, i mean there were i can't remember now uh, 4 or 500,000 probably we killed 300,000 of them in the antarctic in the late 19th century early 20th century and they're very very rare there's probably less than 2,000 in the North Atlantic now. So we're trying to find them, but then also trying to identify individuals and, and see if we can match them from other photographs in the North Atlantic. So out along the Mid-Atlantic Ridge, which is a third of the way across, um, after a lot of work <laughs> and an awful lot of fitness training, um, I managed to encounter this one blue whale, about 90 foot long, and he swam right beneath me. Um, I, I swear to God, I nearly passed out. He took 27 seconds to pass me just so long and I'm down at about 8 or 10 metres holding my breath <laughs> would you hurry up <laughs> so I could finish the shot but look it was it was an incredible experience and that particular animal we by working with our friends around the North Atlantic in Canada and Iceland and Denmark and, and the Azores Islands we, he was also seen in Iceland and then seen back in the Mid-Atlantic region near the Azores so it was a kind of a three-way match so it's, it's a very solid piece of evidence to show where these animals migrate that yeah. they, they come south in the winter time probably to breeding grounds probably west of Africa and then they come north in summertime to the high latitudes and then in the autumn starting about now they pass to the west of Ireland along the shelf edge so down the the, um, the rock hall the, the porcupine bank the por- uh, porcupine sea bite um, yeah. which is where we, we were we spent a lot of time trying to see them so look it's a great privilege I don't do it um, for my own gratification I do it to try and help the research and you know that that particular encounter with that animal actually is the basis of two separate research papers by um, a PhD student um, in Denmark working with the University of Reykjavik in, in, in Iceland so we like to think our work contributes in some way to research science and yeah that's amazing I'm just thinking though like you're a professional down there obviously you know and you have to get that shot do you get to absorb what you're what you're seeing as well, you know, or is it a bit like the the the, the war photographer that they see just through the lens and they don't really kind of you know get to absorb what they're looking at? You do, no, that's a good way to put it. Show, yeah, yeah. You know, you're thinking, don't mess this up. Because, yeah. You know, I had three encounters and I messed the first two. I mean, I didn't. Just the water quality wasn't good enough, and the animal turned a bit, and I didn't get there. And this was the third. And you're just thinking in your mind, this is probably my last chance to do this. You know. And you're uh, trying to not breathe on the water. And you're trying to not breathe. You're out of breath before you dive in the first place. So, uh, look, 27 seconds isn't long for a free dive, but you see, you're pushing a big camera and and you dive down. So. 
You do, absolutely. Do you know, I replayed my mind endlessly afterwards, and that's part of the experience too, you know. Yeah. It's, it's incredible, incredible. But yeah, in the moment, you're just trying not to mess it up and not to disturb the animal. Very good. Stay with us, Ken. We're going to go to break. We'll have more from Ken O'Sullivan after this. You're listening to The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. Yes, get in touch with us. Martinez, take your calls 066 712 You can text WhatsApp 083300. Uh, it's great to hear uh, Ken on the radio and the wonderful work he does. I bought that book uh, a while back and it, it was wonderful. Thanks a million for that. Uh, unknown. Uh, text but thank you um, uh, also Catherine Ahern uh, got in touch, Catherine Ahern and Bally Longford to say um, good morning Joe, that was a great chat with Mike O'Donnell it's people like Mike that are the life and soul of Tralee and keeps his history alive, especially um, characters that would otherwise be forgotten that's so true Catherine, thanks a million um, for that um, Kin, you, we're talking to you ahead of, of your upcoming um, t- talk and tour in Shimsatira 5th of October at 7.30pm um, we were talking about sharks though during the, the ad break and um, this is an important area for you um, to talk about. Ah, yeah, I've, I've had a kind of a fascination with these creatures for a long time. I know it's a bit of an oddball pursuit, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that they're beautiful creatures and uh, they're what we might call an apex predator. So very important to the ecosystem, to the ocean, because they regulate a lot of the creatures below them. Um, and people are always surprised to hear, you know, we've got about um, 30 species of sharks in Irish waters and, and about... F- uh, 30, 35 species of, of uh, skates and rays, which people may, may not be familiar with. And, you know, of course, you know, the, 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 the funny thing about it is that, you know, blue sharks in particular would have been coming into our shallow bays for, well, millions of years, thousands of years as the, the, the country has the shape that it does at the moment. And nobody was aware of them. You know, I can find no credible record of a shark attacking anybody in Irish mm. waters or anywhere close by. Um, so, you know, they're beautiful creatures to swim with. They're very curious. You know, they're not teddy bears. They, they could take a bite out of you if you didn't know how to behave around them. But sadly, they're in serious, serious trouble. You know, the the latest figures from IUCN say that up to 270 million sharks are being killed globally every year. For what? So the shark meat finds its way into processed uh, fish foods all across Europe. Um, shark fins are probably the main thing because uh, in parts of Asia they think it's it's a bit like the rhino horn that it cures male impotence and it cures cancer and there's kind of nouveau riche in China particularly, you know, they like to, to, to show off and buy the stuff at 100 bucks a bowl. The reality is it's cartilage and they often have to use chicken stock to flavour it and it has no medicinal qualities. Um... And on the basis of that, you know, an awful lot of sharks are killed across the world. They also make their way, because sharks are, are made of cartilage, they don't have bones, into shark pills. And, you know, I'm not um, going to take on the whole pharmaceutical industry, but have a look at the Mayo, Re- Mayo Clinic research. There, there's good arguments that it doesn't actually help. Um, mm. And are they a protected species? So basking sharks finally got protection from our government, thank you very much, uh, last year. So, you know, you can't disturb them. Um, other sharks aren't. For some reason, when the 1976 Wildlife Act came in, fish weren't on it, you know, mm. as if they weren't wildlife, which is why, you know, basking sharks weren't protected until recently. So in our waters, no, no, there's very little protection, no protection at all for them. Mm. How important are they to the, the biodiversity of, the, of our oceans, the likes of basking, shark, basking sharks and, uh, and, and the rest? 
Well, I mean, obviously, basking sharks will play a role in the ecosystem. But so, basking sharks, um, they do have teeth, but they're very small. They will be plankton feeders. Most other sharks are predatory sharks, like the blue sharks, poor beagles that we would see in Ireland, um, and. So they're, they've tooth, they're toothed animals and they would eat fish, they would eat other creatures in the ecosystem. So it's kind of called a keystone species. But um, the good example was from, I think, is Yellowstone Park there some years ago. They discovered that when they reintroduced wolves into the park, that suddenly the biodiversity, all of the plants started to come back. Because what happened was the grazers, the deer and the other animals that would just graze and eat everything, suddenly <laughs> kind of had to be on watch and because there were wolves about. And then that allowed all of the um, small trees to grow back, all of the, 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 the flora and fauna to, to grow again. And it had a huge knock-on effect on the ecosystem that it returned to being a normal ecosystem. And just like, even ecosystem is a poor word, Joe. You know, why do we just say plants and animals? If you think of nature evolved over millions of years right, mm. to a kind of a natural balance. So if you leave it alone, guess what? It kind of slowly goes back to where it was. Yeah, there's like a time-lapse video thing online of that, the Yellowstone Park. It shows the evolution of it since the wolves were introduced. Wow. Uh, they've obviously split it up and done it, but it's just amazing to see it, the way the landscape just yeah, completely yeah. changes. And beavers when they came back yeah. and they blocked the rivers and yeah. then that helped to kind of, uh, well, the irrigation of the area. Yeah, um, I mentioned seas in, in the blood by you, but um, we were talking about this during the break as well, that, you know, there's a lot more sea swimming going on. You see clubs as well. It happened during lockdown as well, you know, the appreciation of the sea. Now, we should be mindful and be careful um, of the sea, especially in these temperatures because there's different swells that kind of occur. But it is brilliant to see it, isn't it? Oh, isn't it fantastic? Isn't it fantastic? So many people embracing sea swimming in the last few years and, you know, you never regret a swim. I mean, I'm in a swim group myself up in Clare and uh, here in Phoenix and, and around the places. And you know what I mean? People are always happy. They're always having crack, you know. And a lot of, uh, I won't say older people, let's say people my age <laughs> that are getting into it. And it's a great way to embrace nature. And, um, do you know, like I was saying to you there, I went for a swim in Phoenix last night and we have these little creatures that I'm my whole life waiting for this to happen. It's bioluminescence. These are little plankton creatures that when you disturb them in the water, they light up. And as I put my two arms in front of me to do the breaststroke, I swear to God, it's like these fairy lights. And when Whoa. you stand up, the water drips off you. Now, I know Vinnie Highland down your way has had a yeah. good handle on this for a few years. I think he pe- takes people out on tours. Yeah, around Jerry Nan, It's yeah. magical. It's mm. like this kind of Peter Pan thing. Um, and safety, Joe, yeah. I mean, you know, talk to local people, you know, be sensible. Um, talk to the lifeguards, be careful, because thankfully... You know, drownings have, have have come way down in Ireland, but you know we've had recent tragedies, and uh, yeah, you know, be sensible and talk to a local person, and you know, try just try not to take a chance. Yeah, but it is it's great for the soul, isn't it? It kind of wakes you up when you go into the water, and it's it just does something to you, doesn't it's it? Good for yeah. the head as it is for the body. Yeah, yeah. Um, your talk in Chimsterra, the fifth of October, seven thirty. What will you be doing at that? Oh, come here, look, I've been, I've been, it's, it's a dream I've had for a few years to kind of um, do a live show where I'll show some videos and just talk about my adventures and try to give some insight into them. Stills photographs, so I'm very grateful to the good people at Shamesa for having me. Um, be about an hour, an hour and ten minutes with a question and answer session after that. So try to give people some insight into, um, you know, our documentaries are usually an hour long, so there's only, only so much you can fit into that. And at one stage, you know, we never used to have, I was never a presenter and didn't want to be a presenter. I was kind of forced into it. But um, 
you know, we realised we were leaving some of the best stories behind, you know what I mean? Some of our adventures out in the Middle Atlantic and up in Arctic Norway and storms and that. So just to give people more of an insight mm-hmm. into what it is and to, you know, where our work goes into conservation and research and to engage with the audience. I mean, you can't beat a live show for having people there and engaging with them. Yeah, and I think it's important, the visual aspect of it as well, and it's important that you tell your story because you never know who's in the crowd there as well, that it could be like something could hit them or they change the way they do things or it could inspire the next generation as well which is important as well even though I don't think they need a lot of inspiration because I keep saying this like with the transition year students in here I think they're ahead of us in the line of conservation oh, and all that absolutely. you know absolutely look weird they are you know you get given out to all the time for my daughter for my daughters but yeah look absolutely education and awareness is everything and um, we, we donated all of our all of my work a few years ago to the education curriculum and it's now on uh, our last series is on the um, junior cycle geography and business studies so you know it's wonderful because they were going to use something from the Great Barrier Reef in Australia but now kids in Ireland are seeing humpback whales off Kerry and Clare and Cork so it's a much more local context they can identify with and the, the leaving search cycle actually has been reformed at the moment so we're talking to people in the department now these things take years it took five years the last time to, to give our work away for free but now it's there mm. so education and awareness is everything Is there room in this county to develop our marine tourism um, sustainably and I know that might sound like an oxymoron marine tourism but is there a way of doing that to develop that kind of in a kind of um, absolutely, absolutely. Way. It's happening already, but I mean, you know, out in Phoenix now there's a few people doing eco tours and bringing um, people on rib trips around the place. And of course, there's three dolphins that have taken up residence. So you got funky by three in Phoenix. Um, <laughs> have they names? They'll have to get uh, names. They do now, yeah. I wouldn't be great for naming wild animals, but they do, I believe, yeah, yeah. yeah. There are three females, apparently, but they yeah. come over from Scotland. Um, and in Dingle, there's, uh, there, there's um, a, a number of... Uh, uh, rip trips out to the Blaskets and places yeah. like that. Absolutely. And it's a huge opportunity for coastal communities where fishing is in decline. And I think, you know, most people are, are, have enough cop on to do it sustainably at this stage. It, it's never particularly easy because of our seas in Ireland, but, you know, there are hardier tours around now. And I see a lot of families going out on, on trips like that. So, absolutely, people are, like like with the sea swimming, you know, you get into for a swim, but then you, you just kind of connect with nature and start to see all of the things that are there, the the, the birds, the wildlife, the seals. Um, and that's fantastic for everybody, absolutely. Yeah. Ken, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks a million for uh, coming in. And we wish you the best of luck. It's on in Shimsatira 5th of October 7.30pm and you can go to Shimsatira um, uh, their website for more and how to book it and um, everything else it promises to be great like I say like it's great to hear that you're going to be showing the visuals as well and telling the stories and putting the context to it but Ken thanks a million for coming in thank you Joe and your book is still available I presume Stories from the Deep, that's yeah, right. Very yeah. good, yeah. Still available as well, which is a, a fantastic um, book and that we spoke about here a few years ago. Now, coming up on the Saturday Supplement, we will have our Kerry County Council Creative Kingdom letting you know what's going on in the arts world. We will be talking about Culture Night, which would you believe it's around again? Where does the year go? And we also will be talking about Architecture um, Kerry. And uh, that event is going from strength uh, to strength. It takes place over a number of days and there's many different events um, taking place as part of that so we'll be talking about that as well if you want to get in touch with the programme you can email me jmcgill at radiocarry.ie and uh, we have an awesome theme for our photo of um, the month with um, Dominic Walsh in focus with Dominic Walsh if you want to send in your photos um, 
there's an autumn theme. So that's the theme if you want to send your photos associated with autumn. Um, Mike, O'Donnell, Mike O'Donnell was a breath of fresh air even on this hot morning. He was a special talent for the way he tells the story. Thanks, listener. Um, Mary gets in touch um, to say um, that that man on the uh, talking about water is uh, fascinating and very interesting. That man is Kid O'Sullivan. Thanks a million uh, for that. We're going to take a break with a more after these. You're listening to the Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry, brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. Now it is the second Saturday of the month, so it's time for Kerry County Council Creative Kingdom, where we let you know what's going on in the arts world around this wonderful county of ours. I'm delighted to say we're joined by Arts Officer with Kerry County Council, Kate Kennelly. As always, Kate, how are you doing? Good morning, Joe, and good morning to your listeners. I am very, very well. We have had a really busy summer, Joe, and since we last met, there's been so many arts events delivered. Um, as you know, the Valencia Island Music Chamber Festival was a resounding success, and we've been having meetings as well locally um, in Ivora, your own backyard. Uh, Kerry County Council working with Kokushta Ivrahig, Agus Alina Gaelta, Agus Eichin Abridoga secured that additional funding for creative places, and there's a lot of work happening there. Um, some lovely prep work for Culture Night. I know you'll be talking to Hannah shortly. Uh, so there's some lovely events across the county, and one is taking place down in uh, Ballyanishgeliga, which will be lovely. And outside of that, Joe, we've been doing Kerry Art Strategy meetings. So we've been inviting people in and we've had great interest across the county, um, all ages, great uh, points of view, great ideas from the public and from the art sector. So that's been really, really interesting for me and my team. Hannah has been uh, facilitating some of those meetings as well. And I must give a, a mention as well, Joe, the Kilorglan Drama Group are presenting their Civil War drama, Hunger Strike, uh, which was written many, many years ago by Maureen Cregan and it's going to be on at 8 o'clock on Friday the 6th of October in Shamsa and uh, tickets are available from Shamsa Tira course on 066-7123055 but it's a really good um, good piece of work and I had seen an earlier iteration of it uh, and I must say that the team that are working behind it are just fantastic so it's the Kilorgland Drama Group and um, you know they're just fantastic and I, I'd encourage people to go and see because the standard Joe of drama in Kerry has always been really strong and uh, you know we, we, we can all learn from it I suppose and uh, the, the subject matter is really really interesting too yeah I went uh, I went to it it was absolutely amazing I yeah. thought it was brilliant altogether the acting was just unbelievable the script the directing everything was just it was just amazing yeah. um, and it's great that there were so many Cloglin people involved as well you know telling their own story which was brilliant yeah sure we're, we're, we're a kingdom of creatives Joe the Kingdom of Creatives. <laughs> that might be the new title. We might have to change the title. <laughs> uh, Creative Kingdom works well, though. Um, so, Kate, from you to your Assistant Arts Officer and Culture Night Coordinator, Hannah Pinkard. Uh, Hannah, you're very welcome. You must be uh, all excited leading up to uh, Culture Night. Yeah, no doubt. As Kate said, it was a busy summer of festival and arts events, but it's not over yet. With like Culture Night, I can tell you there is a lot to look forward to. Um, and it's why on your doorstep. So um, to give an overview, everywhere is busy. The night begins, it kicks off at four o'clock and we have many things going late on into the night. There's some things earlier in the evening for our younger audience, but 
most things are going to be post 4 p.m. and late into even midnight and beyond. So, um, just to give and, you a and before and before you go into it more detail, when is it on again? Remind people, culture night. Oh yeah, of course, it's Friday, twenty second of September. Excellent. And it's a national day, so it's not just going to be on in Kerry, it's going to be on all around Ireland. Um, so it began in 2009 in Temple Bar, and it's just gone strength to strength. And Kerry, definitely, we pull our rate, and this year the programme shows that. So whether you're in Tralee or Killarney, you're going to find something to entertain you on the night. Um, we were very lucky to get additional funding this year for various events to happen late into the evening. So in Tralee, you will see the National Circus Festival will be arriving into Shim Satira for a late night contemporary impromptu kind of exploration of circus. So that will happen post 9pm. Um, Island of Geese, we are really lucky to be collaborating with MTU. Um, and they will be doing some musical performances in the outdoor space, um, which I'm sure everyone's really looking forward to. It's been a great public space this summer, and we hope to see it being used throughout the year. So, yeah, and it's class. It's it's an unbelievable place. Uh, I was just walking through it there the other day, and I was like, this is like you know being in some cultural city in Europe or something. It's just such a cool space, isn't it? Yes, and it's been great in all the festivals this year. Um, to have it in use even then moving on to our neighbours in Killarney um, we again packed schedule Annum which is the arts and cultural centre in Killarney has something for all the family so it will have Music Generation Kerry will be doing children's workshops exploring unusual instruments um, and then later on that evening you will have Art House Killarney doing adult painting workshops and then the night ends in Annam, which just shows how much can happen with Kif doing a film screening. So whether it's going to be music instruments, painting or film, there's something for everyone there again. Um, and then both churches will see the mu- music. So St. Mary's will welcome from Kampala to Killarney this year. And St. Mary's Cathedral will have musical performances coordinated by Sharon Lyons. So every corner of that town will be busy and buzzing and we hope to see everyone out and about enjoying it mm-hmm. um, the next we'll move on to our next town which will be Carcevine very and good this is like the Eurovision <laughs> where we're going around from country to country yes Carcevine what's um, happening there uh, yeah they will have the old barracks open and they'll be doing tours of that and as we all know that's a really interesting building with a history that I myself want to learn more about so I hope everyone in the town gets out and enjoys that too and Listowel up north to go from one end to the other. Listowel will have the Harvest Festival on, so it will be buzzing. And St. John's Theatre is working to pro- program events on through that night as well. So wherever you are in the county, you will be busy. And yeah. there's one spot left, if that's okay, Joe, if yeah, you have time. Yeah, away. Um, now, this is, this is going out to the peninsula. This is going out west. So this is Dingle. Um, we were delighted this year to welcome funding from Arts Council through their Culture Night Late application, and we were very succe- we were successful in securing um, additional funds to invite an artist named Tim Schmesler, who is Vienna based. He is a light projection artist um, who has who holidays in Brandon since his childhood. 
Um, he does some incredible visual light projections throughout Vienna where he, he's based and we were able to invite him uh, to do a projection on the Galois Oratory as part of Culture Night this year. Um, it is definitely a once in a lifetime thing and anyone in the area we invite to come see. It will kick off when the when the sun goes down, which we're hopefully hoping for eight thirty, and then it will run into one until about midnight on the night. There'll be shuttle buses going from Dingletown itself out to Galleris and back. Um, and we encourage everyone to use the public transport where possible. And yeah, it, it should be, again, as I said, it's be a unique experience. Tim Smeggler himself has previously done light projections on the lookout points and would have featured on Nationwide in 2013. Um, so the various old World War II lookout points that we have located across our coast. He would have done live projections on there and he's worked with Cork County Prison to do projection um, with the local uh, inmates and things. So it yeah, will be an interesting... Yeah, lots happening. And where can people go for more information? Uh, culturenight.ie forward slash Kerry. <laughs> We can't go through them all, obviously. There's loads taking place in every county and village around this county, but there are some of the highlights. Hannah, thanks a million for coming on and telling us all about them. And Joe, can I just say, Hannah has a background in architecture as well, so she's really interested in the architecture side. And I know we'll be moving on to Victoria next, but um, uh, even using Galleris Oratory, and Hannah mentioned about the old barracks in Carsevine. And did you know, I'm open to correction on this, but I remember seeing a drawing that the Oris Podrick as exists in Killarney, the building, the previous building on that site was designed by the same architect who did the, uh, and it, or it had the same plans, as far as I'm aware, as the barracks in Carsevine. Did you hear that before, Joe? You might have come across that. Well, what I heard was they mixed up the plans that this barracks plan was meant to be over in India and it ended up in Carsevine. And that's why that it looks too. so unusual. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, I tell you, that facility is um, become a real um, tourist spot now. It's um, really gone from strength to strength, you know. Oh, it's great for visitors and they put on some amazing things there but what a venue Hannah we have some amazing venues don't we like that around the county yeah and I have to say the stories of around Carsevine only recently I heard that you know Daniel O'Connell Church only church in Ireland not named after a saint um, mm-hmm. so you know it's a unique unique town um, yeah. So and a lot of stories down there so yeah, and wonderful architecture. And speaking yeah. about architecture, we're now going to talk to Victoria McCarthy because architecture, Kerry, is on. There's events on from Friday the 22nd of September to Sunday the 1st of October. Victoria, you're very welcome. Tell us all about this. So, Joe, uh, for this year, uh, architecture, Kerry, has been expanded. Um, as you know, it's funded by Creative Ireland, um, and this year the Heritage Council are also funding part of the event. So, on Thursday, we have the Architectural Association of Ireland uh, with their opening symposium in Tralee Library, uh, where an inch is a mile looking at completed and current uh, new projects uh, in Kerry. Uh, on Friday, in the Stole in the Kerry Writers Museum, we have an event to celebrate Kerry's big houses called An Enduring Legacy of Lost Treasures. And we also, um, at that event, have the burning of the big house exhibition from Maynooth University. So thanks to Professor Terence Dooley for that. And then uh, on the 
Friday and Saturday, that, so that's the 29th of September and the 1st of October, all day the Muckers Traditional Farms, we have the Kingdom of Skills, which is traditional building skills in action with the Irish Georgian Society and supported by the Trustees of Muckers House, where we have an exhibition and talks on the traditional skills and practitioners and craftspeople who are currently looking after the built heritage around Kerry. Uh, we have a lovely range of children's events this year, including Art Lab, Maker Meet, Me and the Moon, Designer Minds, and those are being held in our libraries around the county and also with the County Museum. And of course we have our usual lovely offering of tours of various new and old buildings, some favourites, some new exciting opportunities of houses and other buildings, lighthouses around the county, including a lovely trail of Kerry's big houses that are opening their doors for the weekend. So for any bookings, please go to Architecture Kerry um, at um, kerrycoco.ie or else people can contact me directly, Victoria McCarthy at 066-7183793. That's 066-7183793 and I work here in County Buildings in Tralee. So thanks, Joe. Yeah, brilliant, Victoria. And just, it just sounds so wonderful, all these different um, events. But it's a very special kind of a celebration, isn't it, of the wonderful ar- architecture we have have in this county. Oh, it's great, Joe. And I think from uh, my own point of view, I suppose, on behalf of the County Council, it's growing hugely year and year. Mm. And people are coming to me with different ideas. And I suppose the whole idea behind this is to get, I suppose, the community of Kerry and the visitors to engage with us creatively. So it's lovely to see people coming to me with their own ideas to celebrate built heritage. This is not being led by us. It's being led by the people who interact with the built environment of all types, old buildings, new buildings, the old favourites, new stuff. So, um, and all I'll say is if somebody sees something in the programme um, and they're interested in it, please do book as soon as possible because a lot of the tours book out really, really quickly. Yeah, and you know, it's telling the story behind the buildings and bring, bringing these buildings to life that we some of us pass every day. So that's what I love about this. So once again, when is it on and where can people go for more information? So the early tours are starting from uh, Friday the 22nd of September. That's with the Phoenix Lighthouse Boat Tours. Um, but the main events are kicking off from uh, Thursday the 28th of September and running to Sunday the 1st of October. And there's uh, we have a web page and a Facebook page. And for bookings, architecture, um, Kerry at kerrycoco.ie. Brilliant. And like I always say, if you Google Architecture Kerry, it comes up straight away as well. So that's a good way to do it. Yeah. Victoria, thanks a million for coming on and best of luck with it all. Thank you very much, Joe. Now we're going to go to break with more after these. The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry. The Saturday Supplement on Radio Kerry. Brought to you by Virgin Media, Ireland's best broadband. Visit virginmedia.ie. It's playtime. You're listening to Kerry County Council, Creative Kingdom and Arts Officer with Kerry County Council, Kate Kennelly is still with us to let us know what else is going on and what's in the pipeline, Kate. Well, Joe, as I already mentioned, we will have the lovely performance coming up by, with Hunger Strike. Um, also, the Listole International Storytelling Festival is on from the 14th to the 17th of September, and that's on at the Kerry Writers Museum in Listole. And full details are available on their website, or people can give a call in to 068-22212, and Cara and her team will be helping out there. So there are storytelling workshops and sessions, and the workshops will be from age, or for um, children age 5 to 12, which is fantastic there's also workshops for primary and secondary schools and there'll be art workshops which is great and they're primarily targeting the the younger children 
And outside of that, Joe, I suppose just to keep your listeners in the loop, in terms of the art services, you know, we have been doing public consultation for the next strategy and we've only one day left in the library. So that's this coming Wednesday in the Stowe Library if people want to book a slot. And again, it's really to get uh, the public's input to the strategy for the next 10 years for the arts. Um, it's very much shaped I suppose, by local interest and local demand, but also framed in the the national um, priorities as well, which is important, as well as Kerry County Council's uh, corporate priorities and and funding um, very much shape the strategy. So, you know, it's an interesting time for us in the office as well, for the whole team. And we are, as you know, we've been working with uh, Music Generation Kerry and you had Deirdre on there at our last um, session and they're doing great work. The Creative Places Evrahig, I mentioned, we secured the extra funding. So that was really exciting and there'll be a lot happening in Evra over the next uh, three years with that. And uh, the City of Lucre Music Trail, our inter-county partnership is still alive and kicking and um, we'll be working to start back with the schools, I hope, um, later on this year and, and before Christmas doing workshops sending various musicians into the schools across Cork, Kerry and Limerick Kerry being the important one there Joe but, um, we're obviously all, obviously <laughs> goes without saying um, so uh, but an interesting from our last public meeting and um Dr. Susan Motherway was there from uh, MTU. It was really interesting. Um, just the, the team around the table, I suppose, representing all the different festivals and events across the three counties. Uh, the, the people asked that we look into um, applying for that intangible cultural heritage status for UNESCO um, and to explore that. So that's something that we're certainly going to look at. It's, it's a long enough process. Um, but, it, you know, Steve Luca music deserves it. Uh, so we're going to look at that. Um, and also then we're doing the visual art mentoring which Hannah leads on with VAI which is Visual Artists Ireland so there's another session coming up in October and Youth Theatre Kerry is up and running uh, with the LCYP the Local Creative Youth Partnership and uh, subject to budgets we'd hope um, there'll be more um, opportunities I suppose for new youth theatres to come on board as well next year uh, and when I say next year Joe it's only three four months away so if there's anyone around the county thinking look um, we're aware of the youth theatre work that's happening we'd be interested in affiliating to Youth Theatre Ireland Ireland, and that's all about standards of practice and standards of delivery but it is young person and child centred so it's very much about their experience and their expression you know and uh, allowing them a voice through you theatre not allowing enabling their voice through you theatre mm, really yeah so so, so yeah. important you're after frightening me there Kate saying it's only a few months till the <laughs> year's that. over oh my god <laughs> I saw that Joe and, and I was like yeah you know it's, it's kind of where, where my, my head is always going three, three or four months ahead it's just yeah how you, how you tend to operate when you're dealing with budgets and projects you know yourself yeah. but um so yeah and in terms of our arts office and arts council co-funded program our writer in residence has finished so Mara Holmes who did amazing work and I'd like to say a very big thank you to her we get um, an unprecedented uh, amount, I suppose, Joe, of unsolicited emails regarding Mara Holmes. Everyone she works with writes in saying she's brilliant. Can we have her back? You know, she's just fantastic. Lovely manner, so professional, uh, lovely humanitarian, and she's so good at dealing with people. Um, our dancer in residence, Catherine Young, is still working away, doing amazing work as always. And our filmmaker in residence, Mika, has finished up her contract as well. So we will hopefully be advertising for a residency mm. panel moving forward for the next four to five years. Um, 
from the arts planning strategy consultation joe it's looking because we did ask people to tick what art forms like should we have music should we have theater should we have um what else have we the visual arts anything we're not already doing but there's huge demand joe for the creative writing and for film um and people are really enjoying the dance as well so it looks like we, we'll be including those on our panel moving forward and maybe adding in visual arts and theater um our arts at grants and all that will be advertised in the next two three months and creative ireland Kerry is motoring away the fabulous new um addition to our team Emma Carmody, has, uh, who's a tree lady originally, has been appointed as the Creative Communities Engagement Officer. So that's a five-year um, term contract, and Emma will be helping with the Creative Ireland Kerry programme. So I'll definitely bring her on so you can meet her, Joe, and she can talk you through where she's at once she finds her feet. She started two weeks ago, but she's great. And, yeah, so we're motoring, Joe. Uh, motoring, and you have a great team, it sounds like, around you as well, yes. which is brilliant. Um, and you need it because all the things that go on and everything that needs to be coordinated and, like you say, all the planning that needs to go into it. Where can people go for more information, Kate? Well, now, Joe, at the usual spot. So it's it's our website, which is arts.kerrycoco.ie and also on our social media. So it's at kerrycoarts on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. They can also email us into arts um, at kerrycoco.ie or they can call us on 066-718-3541. And um, in, in the team in the office, we have Morel and Neve and Clive as well as Emma and Hannah and myself and everyone's working on everything. And uh yeah, so busy and, and, and pedal to working away, and that's good too. Um, pedal to the so metal. And I, 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 yeah. I heard you've been stopped as well, uh, people commenting on the programme, which is great to hear as well. Oh, it is, Joe, absolutely. I said I don't get out too much, um, but when I'm in the supermarkets, Joe, I've had a few people coming up all right, and uh, yeah, of, of all ages, and saying they enjoy our slots. So just to thank your listeners. Um, and we love to hear feedback, so that's much appreciated. Yeah, brilliant. And if you want to get in contact with us during the week about anything as well here on the programme, Jay McGill at RadioCarry.ie. Thanks a million, Kate, and I look forward to talking to you next month again. Thanks, Joe. Have a good weekend. That's all we have time for on the programme this morning. My thanks to Abigail Bernard, who was on sound. My thanks to you at home for tuning in and getting in touch with the programme. Francis is on the way, so keep it here on Radio Kerry. I'll be back again next Saturday from 9am. Until then, look after yourself and take care. The Saturday Supplement with Joe McGill on Radio Kerry 96.2.